0: For anyone who is joining for the first time, um, we are at the moment in a series in these Sunday mornings that is called More Like. Jesus. We're going through some chapters of one of the stories of Jesus' life in the Bible, in what's known as the Gospel of Luke, and seeing what Jesus is like and how he interacts and behaves. And today is almost sort of part two of last week. Last week we were exploring Jesus and an encounter he had with the the Pharisees, these religious leaders who were not a fan. Uh, Last week of the people he was hanging out with, spending time with. This week they're not a fan of some of the ways that he's behaving. Or some of the ways that he's not behaving. Um, and today, the sort of the, the the title, the theme is this: religion. What's the point? Uh, we use the word religion in at least two different ways. One is to think about a, a sort of uh, a, a body of belief. So Christianity is a religion, Islam is a religion, Hinduism is a religion. That's one way we talk about it. The other way we use the word religion is to describe the things that people do the religious activities, the, the going to church, the praying, the seeking God, the fasting, the giving, the, all of the different things that we do as a result. Religion is, part, is, is the outworking of what we believe. You might have heard people say, Christianity, it's not, it's not so much a religion, it's about a relationship with God. It's not about going through the motions and doing the right things. It's about being close and knowing God personally and being in relationship with him. And that is true. But we are also religious people. We are people who do things as a result of our faith. Our faith should look like something. And that can look like all kinds of different things. But when we talk about religion, that's what we're talking about. And today we see two things that Jesus either did or didn't do, which the religious leaders at the time were not happy about. We see him, um, and I've just realized that's the wrong passage on the screen. Sorry, that's last week's passage. We're not going over it again. It's the next verse. That's a copy and paste error on my part. Um, we're looking at a couple of encounters and things where Jesus does things in ways that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, are not happy about. So, uh, I'm going to read that story. It starts in uh, Luke chapter 5, and we're going to read all the way through. And as we do, um, listen out for those sort of religious things that they're not happy about. And what we're going to focus on today is Jesus's response to each of those things, the way that Jesus responds to their uh, complaints. So... Uh, We start here. They, that's the Pharisees, said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece of new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. Uh, The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say the old is better. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Sorry, I've uh, skipped over on the slide there. Uh, So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Religion, what's the point? In these different encounters, we see uh, three times Jesus does something, or in the first case, it's that he and his disciples are not fasting in the way that other people are, fasting, going without food. Um, and, and each of these three times, there's a, there's a protest from the Pharisees, from the religious leaders. They're saying, you should be doing this, or why are you doing this? And each time, Jesus responds, and he gives an argument in response to that. And so as we look at what Jesus says to each of these things, I want us to try and learn what, what religion, good religion, the good outworking of our faith can be and what it shouldn't be. First thing I want to suggest is that religion shouldn't stand still. The way that we express our faith, the way that we follow Jesus, the way that we keep his commands is not about standing still and never changing. He's criticized, isn't he, uh, for the fact that he and his disciples are not fasting. And he starts with this slightly cryptic response. He says, when the bridegroom is with his friends, it's the wrong day to be fasting. And it's this idea of a wedding feast. You don't go to a wedding and announce it as a day of mourning. You announce it as a day of celebration. And for the Jewish people, part of the reason that they fasted was they were going without in order to express their sort of spiritual hunger for a day that was yet to come, a day when God would move in the world. They were saying, we're longing for this. Just as our bodies are longing for food, we are longing for God to move and to do something. And Jesus is saying, hey, the time has come. I'm here. It's the wrong day to be fasting. Today is a day of celebration because the kingdom is coming. And when then he goes on to use these images that I've got uh, pictures of on the screen of of cloth and of wine being poured into wineskins. I'm aware that's a wine glass. And these images are to do with old things and new things and the way that they relate to one another. And what Jesus is saying through these different images is that in order for new things to come about, new ways of doing things need to be embraced. He's not saying that all things and the way that things have always been done is bad. He's saying that new ways need to be incorporated to match the new things that God is wanting to do. That image of, of wineskins and wine, a wineskin was, was a bit of skin from an animal, normally a goat, that would have wine poured into it to be stored into it. And as the wine continued to sort of ferment and the chemical things would go on and the wineskin the wine would become brittle. And then if you tried to pour new wine into it, it would just crack and you'd lose the wineskin and you'd lose the wine. If you've got some new wine, you need a new wine skin. It's an image that would have made total sense to them, but because we don't store wine in skins, we have to kind of get under the bonnet a little bit. But what he's saying is very, very simple. If you want God to do new things and you're willing to allow him to move in new ways, you need to be willing for your lives and the way you relate to him to look different. He's saying, I've come and therefore, we shouldn't necessarily be doing things the way we were doing them 10 years ago. Because something has changed. He's not saying that all change is always good. But he's saying if we never change, we're going to miss out on some of the things that God is wanting to do. And he's also very clear that this isn't just a sort of um, a patch-up job. This isn't just, okay, Well, we'll take this new thing and try and patch it onto an old garment. Because it's not going to work. Sometimes wholesale new is needed. There are times when evolution is needed. There are also times when God says, Right now is the time to revolutionize. Everything is up in the air. We're going to do things in new ways. So that's what Jesus is saying here. What about us? We live in a world that is rapidly changing. The pace of change in our world is faster than ever before, and it's not showing much sign of slowing down. Some of that change is good, some of that change is not good. There are things that are healthier and better about the world than they were 10 years ago, and things that are darker. And far harder but the world is changing and I believe and I believe this passionately because of what the scriptures tell us is that God wants in every generation to be doing new things to be reaching new people to be moving in new ways and that sometimes that means we need to get on board with that and find new ways for things to happen these disciples who were with Jesus at the time when he was saying these things they clearly got the picture Because as you look through the book of Acts, when the church starts to move and spread and go to different places, they tried everything. They didn't just stick with the first thing that they did. They preached in synagogues, and there were times when the preaching in the synagogues didn't work, and so they said, okay, let's have conversations in people's homes instead. There were times when they were able to gather in Jerusalem and then persecution came and they were spread out. And so they found new ways of talking to people and new ways of reaching people. They were always trying to go where the spirit was leading instead of saying, well, it worked last week, so we're going to keep going. I believe God wants to do new things in this generation and we need to be willing to flex with him. At a church that I was at before Gold Hill, I was uh, involved. In, I was a youth and children's worker. And there was one uh, very early on into that. I hadn't yet been given my sort of induction about where things were kept in the building. And I'd been leading a children's group that turned out to be quite messy, and I realized we needed to hoover up. And so I asked uh, someone, where can I find a hoover? Um, and I was, I was shown where, where, where this, this Henry Hoover was kept. And I went and grabbed it, and I started to try and hoover. And the hoover was rubbish. It wasn't picking anything up, wasn't doing anything. Um, and then I looked in another cupboard and I found two brand new Dyson Hoovers. Yeah, I know, right? And I went and they did a perfect job. And I went back to the to the woman who'd shown me where the Henry was, and I said, Did you know there's actually these two brand new Hoovers? And she said, Yes, I did, but I just preferred to stick with what I know. And she knew they weren't working. She knew it wasn't working, but she just preferred it. And Jesus is very honest. There's a kind of there's a kind of sting in the tail at the end of what he says when he says, And no one after drinking old wine wants the new because they say the old is better. He's not saying they're right to think that. He's saying that often we can think, I'm used to this. It's comfortable. It's old, it's familiar. I don't want something new. And he's challenging that. So, religion shouldn't stand still. Second, religion is for our good. So there's this second thing where his disciples are picking grain and they're rubbing them which, which, uh, to sort of get the kernels from inside and then eat them. Um, it's not a particularly big meal, but the Pharisees were looking at that and going, that counts as doing work, and on the Sabbath you're not meant to do any work. You shouldn't be creating food. You shouldn't be doing that work of, of, of rubbing, rubbing the, 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 the grain in order to get the stuff out. That's work. You shouldn't be doing it. It's a very minute thing they're doing, but the Pharisees are straight on it because, as we know, they were looking for things to criticize Jesus for. And Jesus reminds them of this story in the Old Testament. When David and his friends, David, who would become King David, they were on the run, they were on the run from, from from King Saul, who was out to get David and they found themselves in need of food and the temple was nearby the the, the, the place where, where where God sort of dwelled with his people and they went and there was always in the temple this consecrated bread, and when it was going bad, they would cre- they would make some new bread and consecrate that and replace it. And it was only fit for the priests to eat. No one else was allowed to. And he went in and he ate the bread. In fact, there's, if you read the story, he has a conversation with the priest. He convinced the priest that it's okay, but he breaks the rules. And Jesus seems totally fine with that. And he assumes that the Pharisees are fine with that as well. Because rules that God gives, commandments, are good. But they are for our good rather than in order to press us down and keep us down. There's another uh, time in the New Testament when Jesus does things on the Sabbath, and in that version we read in the New Living Translation uh, that Jesus says the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. God's rules, his instructions, his commandments are for our good. And sometimes there are times when there's something greater, something more important. For David, who's on the run, he and his companions needed some food because otherwise they were going to fall behind and they were going to get captured. Jesus is saying these rules and regulations don't become legalistic about them to the point where actually they're no longer achieving the things that God gave them for in the first place. The great commandment, Jesus tells us, is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love others as ourselves. That's the great commandment. If there's something else, if there's, a, if there's a rule, there's a regulation that, that we've put in place that is actually going to stop us doing that, then we need to ask questions about it. For me, uh, a, few, a few years ago, I was um, speaking at a, a thing in France, um, and there was a worship leader from another church, and he and I were working together during the week. Um, uh, great guy. And like like Gold Hill, the church where he was coming from, uh, would normally, had a sort, of, a sort of informal but fairly clear sort of dress code for those who are on platform, and, you know, pretty much what I'm wearing now. Uh, I, I don't tend to turn up on a Sunday and rock out in sort of shorts and flip-flops because it wouldn't be so respectful, and, you know, there's all kinds of reasons about that. But we sort of had that. We both had that approach. The thing is, it was in France... It was in one of the biggest heat waves that France had ever had. It was a time when, when things were literally just catching fire around France, uh, and we were ministering and speaking and leading worship twice a day in a room that wasn't air-conditioned. And three days in, we were getting very hot and sweaty, and someone came up to us and said, ''Do you want to wear shorts?'' And we thought, ''Oh, no, you can't do that. That's not, that's not appropriate. That's not good.'' Then we spoke to the people who were leading the conference, and they went, just go put some shorts on, chill out, it's fine. People are on holiday here. And does that mean that I came back the next Sunday and whacked my shorts and my flip-flops on when I was preaching at Gold Hill? No. There are good reasons for that rule, for that regulation, for that principle, but there are also times when it doesn't apply. This morning, I was rather tired. For, I've got a bit of a cold and uh, it was keeping me up last night and I had three hours sleep last night and normally on a Sunday morning I get up early to spend time praying through my notes and praying for uh, what's going on particularly if I'm speaking and I'll dedicate some time to that and today I say today because it was today at about 4 30 this morning I thought you know what I need more than that I need some sleep and I could have been very religious about it and said no I need to make sure that I'm up to have that extra time of prayer because I'm speaking and actually you know what I just needed a rest. I just needed to sleep. I've I've prayed for you a bit, but not as much as I normally would. (laughs) And I think that's okay. Does it mean that next week I'll go, well, it seemed to go fine last week. I won't bother praying. No. But these things are for our good, not in order to become a straitjacket. And the final thing in the final sort of interaction that Jesus has is that... Religion is for the good of the world. We finally have this encounter where there's this man who's got a shriveled hand. He's got uh, an injury or a condition of some kind. We don't know exactly what it is. Um, And he's there, and people are looking at him to see if he will heal on the Sabbath. Now, if you're not even allowed to rub a bit of grain between your fingers in order to eat the kernel from the middle, healing someone on the Sabbath? Well, that does sound like work. That sounds like hard work. That sounds like proper spiritual work, and you shouldn't be doing that on the Sabbath because the Sabbath is a day for rest. And so they're looking to see what he'll do. And what does Jesus say? Well, he says, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He's pointing a finger back at them, really, and saying, and then he goes on to heal the man just to make a point. And what he's saying to them is, look, your religious rules, these things that you've added, these things that you've put around this idea of the Sabbath, you've turned them into something that is now stopping people from being given life, from being restored, from being healed. Your religious observances are stopping people being blessed by God instead of being a blessing from God. Is he eradicating the idea of the Sabbath? No. Sabbath is important. I think Sabbath, and it's maybe a time for a conversation for another day, but Sabbath is something that we probably need to take a lot more seriously in the Western church than we do. We are so good at work, 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 work. Rest is important. It's baked into creation. It's baked into the way that we're wired. It's an important practice. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Jesus isn't undoing that. He's saying when your religiousness gets in the way of blessing and helping other people, there is a problem there. And so he asks the man to stretch out his hand, and he's healed. How does our, for those of you who follow Jesus, for those of you who are Christians, how does your religious life, the ways that you express your faith, your church stuff, your prayer life, your community with other Christians' life, the the different things that you do as a result of your faith, Are they a blessing to other people? Or can they be a distraction from being a blessing to other people? We need to ask those questions because of what Jesus is saying here. I've had a number of conversations over the last few years, last couple of years, with people who've said that actually they've realized that during the different lockdowns we had and things, they said that actually because they were doing a bit less church stuff, they're able to do a bit more God stuff. Able to be a blessing to people in God's name because they weren't so busy and distracted and caught up with doing church things. Do I think church is the opposite of helping people? No, I do not. That would be a strange thing for someone in my line of work to believe. Can sometimes we get so caught up in the machine? Of course we can. Of course we can. We need to ask those questions of ourselves. We need to think about those sorts of things. It's often said that the church is the only organization in the world that exists for the benefit of its non-members. I don't think that's quite true. Someone was saying to me earlier this week, what about the RNLI, the Royal National Lifeboat Institute? Pretty sure that exists for the non-members. But in in a similar way to people who are out on lifeboats, we're not here just for ourselves. We're not here just to enjoy it, just to go through the motions, just to do things because they're a blessing to us. We are there to be a blessing to other people. And if what we do as a group of Christians, as a family, stops us doing that, if for you there are things that get in the way, then we need to ask those questions of God. I'm not saying that that is a big part of our culture, but it's always worth checking in. And when we're spending time in, in passages like this that sort of speak to the ways that we do religiousness, it's worth, worth asking that question. Why is, why is it that I'm not just saying, well, religiousness is bad? Well, because the New Testament doesn't really give me permission to do that, because the New Testament gives us descriptions of religion that are good. And I want to sort of finish by sharing the New Testament definition of what good, pure religiousness, religion, looks like. It's found in uh, a letter written by Jesus' brother, James. And in James chapter 1, verse 27 We read this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to one, look after orphans and widows in their distress, and two, keep oneself from being polluted by the world. As I look around at the church, not just our church, but the church, the church particularly in the Western world, I see people who gravitate towards one half of this very strongly and kind of forget the other bit. Church is all about helping people, all about meeting people where they're at, all about uh, helping those, the the orphans and widows, or what are the modern day orphans and widows? Those who are marginalized, those who are oppressed, those who have less. And And there can be an attitude that gets so caught up in seeking to meet people's needs in the way that they want us to meet their needs, that actually we've just become like the rest of the world. But on the flip side... There are people like the Pharisees who are so desiring not to become like the world, not to get caught up with, the, with, with difficult people, with people we find offensive or tricky or awkward or not like us. We don't want to become polluted by the world around us, and so we don't even go near. And like these Pharisees who were happy for this man who was injured to go away just as injured, just as ill as when he came, they don't want to become polluted by it. So they're willing not to even help, whereas Jesus says no. So as we think about the fact that religion is not about standing still, often we'll stand still where we are because we don't want to become polluted by the world, but we miss the chance to bless and help other people when we're unwilling to budge from the ways that we've always done things. As we think about the fact that religion is for our good not to be a straitjacket around us, We need to remember that the rules and the commandments and the things that God gives us and asks us to be obedient to in Scripture are for our good. And they will help us not to get taken off course and to be a blessing and to help other people. And as we think about the fact that religion is for the good of the world, not just for us, a verse like this reminds us that if our religiousness, if the way that we do faith doesn't bless those who are not well off, who are overlooked by the world, then actually we've not become polluted by the world. We've just become polluted by our own religious ideas, by our own practices, our own habits. And that is the kind of thing that people look at and go, well, they're just a bunch of religious people. They don't really care. I don't believe that that describes us as a church family. And I pray that more and more it would never describe us. I pray that we would run away from anything that reeks of that that we would embrace whatever new wine it is that God wants to give us. Let's focus less on the wineskins and what things look like and structures and practices and how we do. Let's focus on the new wine. Let's focus on the new life that God wants to give. Let's focus on the, the new things that God wants to pour into us and pour out from us. Let's be people who are not caught up in our own tradition, our own way of being and doing things, but are willing to go where God leads in order, ultimate, to be blessed by him and to be a blessing in his name. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are not a God of disorder and anything goes. Thank you that you show us, you tell us how to live, and in Jesus, you have shown us how to live. Thank you that Jesus wasn't so structured and strictured that he wasn't able to look someone in the eye and ask, what do you need today? Thank you for that example of obedience to you, of living as you called, and of being compassionate in your name. Lord, would we more and more and more be that? Help us to see, to find, to care for the orphans, the widows, those who are overlooked and downtrodden. And help us to remain distinctive enough, distinctive in your name, that we actually have something to offer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.